0: Have you ever had a day where you just can't seem to get your thoughts in order? Where you keep trying to focus, but something, you're not sure what, interrupts. You push the thought away, perhaps it's painful or irritating or frivolous. But it won't leave. The thought or memory remains, like a splinter in the mind's eye. You are distracted, pensive, longing for something that you are not consciously aware of. As you turn your eyes back to your work, you struggle once again to find solace from this intrusive, distracting thought. You are in need of a holiday. You can only do so much. And as much as you try to power through, the fact remains that you are nearing your burnout point. If you don't change scenery, get a fresh perspective, things are going to look bad. There is hope. There's always hope. Your longing, your yearning can be cured. It simply needs an opportunity to fulfill itself, to escape the humdrum rhythm and embark on something new. For a day, a week, get out of the workplace grind. Find a boat come to Memphis. Around 1300 BCE, a few decades after the reign of Amun-Hotep III, Egyptian scribes, writers, were composing works in a variety of genres – Fairy tales, instructions, model and ideal letters, and of course, poems and songs. Our subject today is a pair of these compositions, poems telling of ancient longing and the need for a holiday. I call these two poems the Memphis River Blues. These blues poems tell of an Egyptian scribe's difficulty keeping to the rhythm and grind of daily life. He wants to focus, but his heart, his mind, are in need of a break. With nothing else to do, the scribe begins to daydream of fairer shores. In the process, he writes a lovely, lovely poem. Quote, Farewell, my heart has slipped away. My mind hurries to a place that it knows. It is travelling upriver to see Memphis, the house of the Lord Ptah, and I wish I were there now. But here I sit, absent-minded, waiting for my heart, that it may tell me news of the city. No task at all succeeds in my hands now. My heart has departed from this place. Come to me, Ptah, and take me to Memphis. Let me see it as you desired. I am awake, but my heart is sleeping. It is not in my body, and all of my limbs are seized by evil. My eye is weary from looking, studying, my ear does not hear. My voice cracks, and the words of recitation tumble and slur. O Lord of the city, friendly to young scribes, satisfy my heart, empower me to rise above this day's infirmities. End quote. Oh, I know this feeling all too well. You sit staring at the page, willing the words to come but your heart, your composer, is not there. It is elsewhere, off with the birds, flitting across the reeds and the river. Dipping into water, never worrying what cares may pull you back to work, the heart will go, wherever it must, to make its hearth and healing. The scribe laments his distraction, keenly aware that his brain and his mind are separated right now, To the Egyptians, consciousness and the mind were located within the heart, an idea that I have always sympathised with. Physiology aside, making that distinction is a great path to recognising more of your emotional needs. Our scribe calls out to Lord Ptah, the master of artisans and craftsmen, the god who created the universe, the world and everything in it on account of his excellent speech. Ptah is the lord of language, of spoken thought. In a word, he is the god of human consciousness. In the depths of a scribe's distraction, he calls out to Ptah for some rescue. The scribe seeks to visit Memphis. Why Memphis? Well, the city of Memphis, called Men Nefer or Eneb Hedge, depending on the time period, was the bastion of Ptah's cult. It was here, in 3000 BCE, that the legendary first king had founded a great city, a city of white walls, a city of pharaonic majesty. It was at Memphis, in the age of the pyramids, that Ptah's cult and the priests who served him helped to devise the great monuments and structures of the western cemeteries. It was Ptah, lord of Memphis, who made things endure. For the frustrated scribe in need of a break, the city of Memphis must have been a powerful lure. At the very least, it was a good symbol for his inner desires, a focal point for his need to get out, see the land, take a much-needed break. In other words, these Memphis blues may not be about Memphis specifically, but rather a poetic rendering of the human need to wander. The scribe frustrated at home, must get out and take a walk. In another poem, written about 100 years earlier, a different scribe told of the same process. This time, though, he was not sitting at home wishing to be elsewhere. He was on the road, fulfilling that desire. He was getting out on a holiday. The scribe hopped on a ship, set it northward, and began a journey. His destination? Well, where do you think? Quote, oh, I'm bound downstream on the Memphis ferry, like a runaway severing all ties. I have my bundle of old clothes over my shoulder. I'm going down there, where the living is. I'm going down to that big city. And there I will tell Ptah, the lord who loves Ma'at, give me a girl tonight. End quote. I love this poem. I'll finish it in a moment. The first half reminds me of a blues song, the poet or singer wandering down the road, away from his or her cares, all their possessions in a pack, the horizon stretching before them. It is the ideal of unbounded freedom, told in a uniquely Egyptian style. How fitting is it that the ancient city of Memphis, Mennefer, should parallel the city in Tennessee, where the first recordings of black blues musicians took place in the early 20th century. Robert Johnson, Willie Brown, Muddy Waters, great names came to Memphis, Tennessee, and helped usher in one of the greatest flowerings of musical culture in the modern age. I like jazz, I like rock, I love metal and electronic, but blues... Blues is the music of a troubled but hopeful soul. What a lovely coincidence that such a poem was composed for the Egyptian Memphis! If I were a gambling man, or a humorous man, I'd call this Egyptian Delta Blues. The first half of the poem sets the scene. We meet our protagonist, a young scribe, sailing down river towards the great city. He comes, perhaps, from Thebes, a scribe of Amun's temple at Karnak, or the workmen's village of Deir el Medina. Perhaps he works for the crown, documenting their wealth and accessing taxes for the Pharaoh. Whatever his work, he has reached a point of great need. He says no more and packs his bag, hops on the boat, and makes his way north. He goes to the big lotus itself, the city of Ptah. He is off to Men Nether. The scribe calls Memphis, where the living is, meaning excitement and experience of life. Naturally, being young, his idea of this is epitomized in one line, give me a girl tonight. Well, enough said on that. The poem continues, and the scribe, sailing the waters of the Nile, spends his time appreciating the environment in which he moves. Quote, Look at the river, eddying in love with the young vegetation. Ptah himself is the life of those reed shoots. Lady Sarkmet of the lilies, yes, our Lady of Dew, dwells among lily pads. And their son, Nefertem the sweet boy, blossoms newborn in the blue lotus. Twilight is heavy with gods. And the quiet joy of tomorrow, dawn whitening over her loveliness... O oh Memphis, my city, beautiful forever! You are a bowl of love's own berries, a dish set for Ptah your god, god of the handsome face. What a lovely sentiment describing the natural beauty of the Nile Valley, papyrus thickets, verdant growth, lotus flowers, and lily pads, and placing that beauty within the larger context of symbolism and religion. Whether it is Ptah giving life to the reeds, reeds used to make both papyrus and the pens with which scribes write, or Sarkmet, the great lady dwelling among the lilies, quiet, at peace from her usual ferocity, or Nefertim, the child of Sarkmet and Ptah's union, who emerges as the sweet-smelling lotus blossom that even Ray holds to his nose. All is well, all is calm, All is full of love. The phrasing here, Memphis, my city, beautiful forever, loses something in translation. In Egyptian, it might have sounded something like, Men nefer, nuit i, nefer men. This is a great phrase. The city, men nefer, or Memphis, can be translated as, Enduring beauty. So when the scribe says, Memphis, my city, beautiful forever, he is really saying, Enduring beauty, my city, beautifully endures. So the scribe is using the name of the city both as a noun and then as a larger concept to illustrate his point. As his feeling of happiness deepens, and he looks forward to the arrival, he is in a pure moment, a moment that seems to endure forever. It is a lovely sentiment, reminding me of one of the closing lines in the film American Beauty. There, the protagonist says... I had always heard your entire life flashes in front of your eyes the second before you die. First of all, that one second isn't a second at all. It stretches on forever like an ocean of time. I remember to relax and stop trying to hold on to it, and then it flows through me like rain, and I can't feel anything but gratitude for every single moment of my stupid little life. You have no idea what I am talking about, I'm sure, but don't worry. You will some day. The scribe comes to his destination, the enduring beauty of Memphis. He moors his boat among the reeds, splashes ashore, and begins a pleasurable holiday in the city of Ptah. With his cares far behind and his joys ahead, he wanders off to find experience, to enjoy some living, It's something worth doing as often as you can. Thank you for joining me in this short episode. I love these poems and sharing them is a joy. If you are in the grind or a rut, I hope these words might uplift you. Imagining the river flowing gently northward we may float towards a place of rest. The translations of this episode are a bit more poetic than you normally get in Egyptology. That's because I've taken them from the work of John L. Foster, Egyptologist in Chicago's Oriental Institute, who had a side career in poetry. Well, to be fair, Foster's main career was actually English literature, but he was always connected to Egyptology, and his translations of these works are some of the more beautiful in the field. I've chosen his works over more accurate unquote, versions, because, well, poetry doesn't thrive on strict translation. Poetry needs adaptation a flexibility that captures the spirit and meaning of the original without getting bogged down in copying the hieroglyphic grammar. If you want a more technical version of these poems, I have provided them on the podcast website. These come from Robert Caminos and Sir Alan Gardner, and are a bit more in line with the grammatical structures of the originals. If you just enjoy the sentiments, then sit back, take a moment, and enjoy a cruise on the life-giving waters.